Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 121. Thank you for joining us. It's always wonderful to sit down with a homeschooling mom who's been there and done that while still being in the thick of things. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by veteran homeschooling mom, Michelle Rizuda, who shares her experience of schooling her eight children and the many blessings that have come from this year's long endeavor. I think you'll find some great advice along with some great encouragement in this discussion. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Alrighty, Stephen, how have things been going so far this year? It's been going really well. Um, so yeah, kiss some online classes and picked up a, an extra one at the last moment. So okay. that's always a, can always be an interesting thing, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I have to take, I don't get to see my wife quite as much because I walk in and she's doing school with the kids on the sofa. And so it's back to work for me. No chatting, no chatting. <laughs> oh, but, that affects that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, here too, we're kind of off and running and getting used to our new schedule. I still don't have it cemented in my mind who's in which class when. So we have printouts of it all over the house. Like <laughs> We have to consult all of us, including me. We have to consult that to know who's going where. So we have a special conversation today. One of our the, one of the things we have liked to do from the beginning of our, our rebooted Colby cast is visit with moms and dads who've been at this homeschooling thing for a while, who have many pearls of wisdom to share with us who can walk alongside us, those of us who are just getting started, those of us who are kind of in the middle of it and wondering sometimes what, you know, where this is all going, how it's going to turn out. Those of us who have not yet graduated any students from our homeschools and are, but are approaching that and that's looming large on our horizon. So I'm very pleased to introduce today, Mrs. Michelle Rizuda, a longtime Colby mom. Welcome Michelle to the Colby cast. Hi Bonnie. Hi Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. We are delighted to have you and get to visit with you. Yes. Well, let's see. Um, As you know, my name is Michelle, and I have been married for 28 years to my husband, Steve. Steve and I are both cradle Catholics. I am a product of 16 years of Catholic education. Um, My husband is a product of 16 years of public education. Um, We have eight children, and our children range in age from 12 to 26. Uh, We're from Elysburg, Pennsylvania, which is in the Harrisburg Diocese. That's in the center of PA. And we have been homeschooling exclusively with Colby since 2001. So since our oldest was in kindergarten. Wow. So um, our oldest son, Stephen, graduated from Colby in 2014. And he's a bachelor's degree in theology from Catholic Distance University. And currently he's working full time with my husband and his accounting firm. Uh, He's very involved with our local parish and with the Knights of Columbus. Our second oldest son, Nicholas, graduated from Colby in 2016. He too has a bachelor's degree in theology. His is from Franciscan University, Steubenville. Currently, he's a full-time DRE in the Joliet Diocese. He has 1,100 families that Mm -hmm. he serves. I know. (laughs) Baptism through grade six. So it's a very um, growing parish. It's about 45 minutes west of Chicago. And he's going to be getting married on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Our oldest daughter, Jessica, is a 2017 graduate of Colby. 
and she too went to Franciscan University. She graduated with a BA in journalism and she's working as a conservative ghost writer. She writes for conservative politicians. Um, so that's been pretty exciting, especially since this is such a crucial election year. So she's been putting her skills to use. Um, Maria's our fourth. She graduated from Colby in 2020 and she is a junior at Franciscan University of Steubenville. I, I think you're seeing a pattern here. Sure. Um, <laughs> she's a dual major in um, communications and film studies. Uh, and then we have four at home still. Christopher is a senior, Gianna is a junior, Francesca is a freshman, and then Anthony is our caboose, he's in sixth grade. So we have four at home now. So our life has been very busy, but very blessed. What a crew. <laughs> That's quite accomplished, faith-filled, uh, living out their faith that you have instilled in them from the get-go. Right. 2001, that doesn't seem like very long ago, like, right. and it actually <laughs> is, it's it's 20 it's more than 20 years now so would you tell us a bit about and that is kind of boggles my mind i just can't stay there very long so uh, would you tell us about your homeschooling experience what that looked like 20 years ago maybe take us back to when you heard about colby and decided to go with colby and absolutely um my husband and i actually consecrated ourselves to the blessed mother through max colby's consecration so through the militia of the immaculata okay. and um the Militia of the Immaculata is a universal and international public association. It's faithful, started by St. Maximilian Colby. And when my husband, Steve, and I were discerning homeschooling our oldest, we just prayed very intently to the Blessed Mother. And our goal was we just wanted to find somewhere that would be the best fit for our family. Because um, although we had a Catholic school in the area, it wasn't the same Catholic school that I grew up with in the 70s and early 80s. Um, I wanted to find somewhere that would put God first, but still was academically really challenging and had a classical learning style. And we went to a Catholic homeschooling fair in Harrisburg, which is our, our state's capital, and Colby was there. And it was who clicked. It was just one of those like Christ incidences, so to speak, that it was just that perfect fit. It was everything that we wanted because it was challenging. It was orthodox. It was classical and it had that building block style of learning. And it was something that we loved. And I still can recall looking back, even in the religion curricula in kindergarten, like um, right from the get go, being little ones are being taught to know, love and serve God. And just something so simple like that just um, being built upon year after year after year. And before you know it, boom, you know? Um, so for us, it was just something that stuck. And we never, I never looked back, you know? It was such a great curricula that I never felt like going anywhere else. What was it like back in 2001? It was a lot different. Um, for starters, everything was snail mail. Mm -hmm. You um, filled out your registration form and you mailed it to Nancy. Nancy got it and Nancy processed everything. And then she mailed back your course syllabi. You ordered your books. Everything was done snail mail. Um, quarterly samples. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we would spend hours photocopying the samples, putting it in. I forget how much we paid to mail the samples to the advisors. And everything was done that way. So, um you everything was done by telephone call or mail mm -hmm. 
So in that sense, it was different. The curricula has pretty much stayed the same, you know, which it was challenging from the get-go. Things that I used back in 2001 for my oldest, when he was in kindergarten, were the same things, the same tools that I used in 2016 with the baby when he started kindergarten. So in that sense, it hasn't changed, but the operations have changed. The school, you know, as you know now, Colby is huge. It is, it is huge. Um, it was big back in 2001, but nowhere near like it is now. So um, it was a lot of things like that, you know, not so much technology, more, you know, the old fashioned way. Yes. <laughs> but even when you think about it, homeschooling in general, I mean, in 2001, um, it was, there were a lot of families that did it, but it was nowhere near the numbers that we have today you know? So that's a little, you know, that's been a little different too. And in 2001, we were one of the few families that were homeschooling that actually used um, an accredited program. You know, a lot of other people in 2001 were still kind of mavericking it along and just like kind of taking a little dabble here and a little dabble there. Whereas now it seems like everybody uses something, whether it's Colby or Seton or Mother of Divine Grace. Um, you know, so that's changed a bit too. Yeah, I remember that time as well. And so my wife was, well, actually I was tutoring homeschooling kids back in 2001 by phone, uh, working with some young men across the country. But but yeah, I remember my wife also kind of working for a, a distance education school and having, she'd have all of the like sign up sheets on the bed and she'd be yeah. putting them in envelopes and sending them out to different people. Yeah, not not getting online and doing really anything at that point. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, since we've always stuck with the traditional homeschool method, like things for us haven't changed as much. Like I know, like Colby offers so much that you can do online, but, I, you know, I taught college before my husband and I got married and started having our own family. So I've just felt very comfortable just teaching. And I think Colby has just done such a marvelous job with the way the materials are laid out that um, for me, using that traditional method has been, has been what's worked best, you know? I was wondering about that. If, if seeing the similarities, the very, uh, the continuity between your first kindergartner and your last kindergartner, and there's sometimes that temptation, like we need to do something new and, and fresh and exciting and whatever, but there's so much value in, in the tradition bringing forward from, from where you started from the first student to the, to the last one. Absolutely. What do you think about that? Um, I agree. I mean, I know looking at, um, I mean, certainly I think the caboose benefited the most because when it's your oldest and you're starting out, it's always the toughest you know, and then as you go along, you tweak it and you become a pro. And then by the time you hit number eight, it's like, ah, you know, this is a piece of cake. But, um, (laughs) you know, I haven't really changed that much in like how, you know, I've done things like, it was funny, I was looking at the questions that we were going to discuss beforehand. And as I was going through the list, a lot of things that I've done 21 years ago are pretty much still what I'm doing now. I mean, only I'm doing it much better. You know what I mean? Much more orderly. I I know what works, you know, but as I said, those building blocks that Colby had 21 years ago are still 
present today than any changes I've made are just kind of like nuances, you know? Yeah. Like a microcosm of the, the classical approach in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So do you have any memorable homeschooling experiences that stand out in your mind, either favorite or least favorite? Any like spectacular wins or failures or anything <laughs> along those lines? <laughs> well, okay. Um, spectacular wins. Um, one thing that I have always loved, one of the many things I always loved about Colby is in grade school, it was the, um, the Our Lady series in history. And you learn about American saints in the building of our country and the key figures. And I love the fact that being in Pennsylvania, we were so close to so many Catholic shrines. We still are. But as we learned about St. Isaac Jogues and how he um, missioned to the American Indians, I was able to take that information and then take my kids to the Shrine of the North American Martyrs in Orysville. So it was really cool. They got to walk where the saints were martyred and actually take what they learned in book and actually apply it. But I think when you're a Catholic, it's not just applying it. It's not just something tangible, but you get to feel it. You know what I mean? You get to actually say, wow, I am now walking amongst where this great Jesuit saint, you know, lost his life to promote Christ. Like, you know, he walked in Christ's footsteps. Or when you learn about St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and you go to the St. Elizabeth Ann Seton shrine and it's the same thing. You get to actually not just visit it, but actually live and experience it. And it's like those type of homeschooling experiences are the ones that I remember most. I mean, there's a gazillion of them. I can say, oh, well, you know, we did such and such in a science project one day, or we did this in math or whatnot, and we're able to apply it. But I think it all comes back to the faith-filled ones. And the one thing that I've always loved about Colby is the fact that the courses related so well to each other. Like, um, you learned religion, but religion can be tied over in English because as you're learning those basics in English, you can write a story and you can, you know, about your faith or you can take from history and do this or do that. In high school, you start out with um, Greek history and Greek literature, and then you go up and you do Roman history and Roman literature. Everything's like kind of a building block and everything just fits together seamlessly. You know what I mean? And I always thought that was something that I loved so much about Colby is that that classical form of education is just so proven and you just see the rewards from it. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like you're not, you know what I mean? Like each year, although the curricula by far is very challenging, I mean, it's not easy, but I feel that when you start up from the ground up, like we did, it's not as difficult. You know what I mean? Because it's that building block every year becomes more challenging, but it's doable because the groundwork was so solid at first. So, yeah. Well, I love what you were saying about the, the visiting the shrines. Bonnie and I had just recently spoken with some people who do the American Catholic historical podcast. Did I get that right? Yeah. Bonnie? Okay. I've heard yes, of it. Yes. American, American Catholic history. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they were just pointing out what they, they love doing there, too, is because, you know, there's all these saints overseas, but we've got such wonderful saints that were here in, you know, our backyard and and how inspiring that can be to children or to kids and adults. But to see it's not something far away and, and in Absolutely. the distant past. And with Colby, you know, when I look at Cali itself, look at California and you think, okay, Junipero Serra, or I'm looking about the Midwest and you're seeing Father Marquette. I mean, there's somebody everywhere, you know what I mean? Throughout this yeah. whole great country, or if you're in Canada, there's the um, North American martyrs that were in Ontario. But um, I just think it's that idea that you kind of go back to basics. And when you think about it, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's like, when you learn about these historical figures, when you look at the lives of the saints, they're people you want to emulate, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's great to learn about George Washington and Ben Franklin, and by all means, extremely important, but it's kind of not that same connect as when you're learning about, say, Mother Seton, or you're learning about St. Isaac Jobs or Junipera Sarah, or, you know, any, any of those people, Pierre Toussaint or whoever, because they're they're Catholics and they're who we're striving to emulate. And it's just pretty awesome. Yeah, and since we go to mass every Sunday with those people, it's yeah. important to get to know them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, when it's when it's your turn, you know, and hopefully you get to meet these people, you've you already know something about them. So mm -hmm. you you mentioned the least favorite homeschooling experience. <laughs> For me, it was um when it was just a few years ago. I think it was when rhetoric was introduced. It was the philosophy was introduced into the high school curricula because it was something that I had not ever had before in um, college. You know, I was a business major. I was a nursing major and then a business major. So I got to kind of breeze over the philosophy courses. And I remember when ethics was first introduced to Colby and I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is something I don't know. So now I got to read it, you know, and now I got to really like dive in and learn about it. And by the time I got halfway through the year, it was like, okay, I shouldn't have been grumbling so much because I didn't like it at first, but it was like, I could understand the purpose of it. And then, you know, kind of was that other thing. It just tied everything together. So, you know, that's, That's true. You kind of get in a groove with when you know it all so well, then something oh, new yeah. is introduced. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's what it was. I was 16 years at this point, and then all of a sudden, the, you know, ethics and philosophy is thrown in. Yeah. It's like, whoa, wait, what are you doing <laughs> to me now? You know, I now have to learn something, but um, <laughs> it's it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, rearrange a little bit. That's, yep. I can understand. I, when I get my systems down, we got to introduce something new, then that's changes hard sometimes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. So you mentioned you guys are your traditional homeschool, meaning you you do offline courses, not online courses, right? Yeah, we just do everything offline. So we have a very structured schedule. Okay. Um, it's it's a little kooky, you know. At <laughs> at times, you know, I I see my friends that are doing the online courses, you know, combined with the traditional, and um, it, it seems a little smoother for them than it is for us at times, but um. You know, the key for us is that schedule and it's a schedule that we started from the get go and we still, you know, stick with it. You know, I mean, of course, there's going to be days where it just doesn't work. You know, it just for whatever reason, things kind of implode. But, um, you know, for the most part, it's it's great. 
so would you say that that schedule is pretty tried and true? That is kind of your. It is. Yeah, um, okay. I'm afraid I'm going to scare you though if I tell you about it because <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of kooky. It's kind of kooky. Um, we get up. My oldest kids and I we get up at dawn and um, we'll pray and we'll do laundry. I mean, having eight children. I mean, granted they're not all at home now, but there's always laundry to do every day. Right, yeah. So we get up, sort the laundry, pray a bit have breakfast and we actually um we go to daily mass so we actually do one or two classes before that eight o'clock mass wow. so we always start with math because um and you know that's one thing i would tell any homeschooling parent um we always take math because although it's fun it's still like kind of an achilles heel mm -hmm. especially the high school math that can bog you down a bit yeah. but when you start it out early and you kind of knock it out of the park you feel good the rest of your day you can kind of breathe a bit so um, we usually do one or two classes before we go to mass, daily mass. And then after we get back from mass, we um, will go another probably three and a half hours until lunch. And then we'll do chores. And then my kids are competitive Irish dancers. So after they're done with chores, they'll practice their Irish dance. And um, that's pretty much been our rhythm. You know, the Irish dance is something that we've only done for the last 10 of the 21 years. But um you know, it's given them structure, you know, a little more structure. So um, they kind of have to stick with more of a routine. Do we do every class every day? We sure try to, but I mean, there's just going to be days or it's just not going to work, you know, but um, the schedule kind of keeps us going that, um, you know, you kind of chug along and you, you know how it is yourself. You homeschool. If you don't accomplish everything one day, another day, you might be able to accomplish more and then even a little more than that. So it all balances out. Yeah, I love I love that math in the morning though again because that's that's one of those that you if you skip miss too many days oh goodness, you can't yeah. just triple up on reading or yes. you know, like thank that. you thank you Stephen that's something I, I've <laughs> always told my kids because some of my kids would be like seriously why do we have to do pre calc I mean it's six fifteen in the morning and I'd be like ah <laughs> but you'll appreciate that because once Thursday afternoon comes. And you know you're done with all your math classes for the week. Mm -hmm. Anything you do after that is is easy, right? Right. It's it's easy. It's very very easy. Well, it sounds like it works well for you. And there, I think I bet there are more folks than we think out there for whom getting an early start like that that really works well. And there's a lot to be said for that 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 sense of accomplishment. Well, the one reason I I wanted to also do that was because I knew that when they you know, with our children, we want to do two things for them. We want to give them roots, but also we want to give them wings, right? Mm -hmm. So when it's time for them to leave, if, you know, if they're already into a good ritual, you know, then when they go to college, it's not as bad because they're used to getting up on time. Because I mean, if, if you go to a traditional brick and mortar school, you know, you, you've got to be out for the bus at 7.05 or you don't make it to school that day. So those kids, they have a schedule, you know, and that's why at home, we just kind of adopted the same thing ourselves. And, you know, we have found that by the time they go to college, then that's, that's not the hard part is getting up early because yeah. they're used to it. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Anything else tried and true you want to share with us? Yeah. I mean, another thing that's worked for us is we go to daily mass. I mean, that for us, and I can say now, 
that when I look back on the 21 years and I think that back in 2001, I had a really, I have still a really good friend of mine who told me she's a few years older than me and she had already been homeschooling about five years. She told me that the key to her success with homeschooling was, she said, go to daily mass. She's there. I know you're going to think I'm nuts. And I know you'll think that the parishioners are going to think you're, you're crazy coming in with a bunch of kids. But honestly, it allows the kids to become dependent on God at an early age, but also to cultivate that relationship with God by truly getting to know, love, and serve him. And that was something we did. And I remember back in 2001, I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, and I was pregnant with number four. And um, it was hard at first, but I don't regret doing it because the graces that I received and the graces that those children received are something that have, you know, you can't put a price on that. And I know I've had like throughout the years, I've had a lot of, um, of our fellow homeschooling families, cause I'm the head of our Catholic homeschooling group in our area have asked me, well, what do you do? Why didn't you give up? And I say, I honestly think it's because I went to daily mass because the graces that I was able to receive in those 25 minutes being there, I just can't put a price on it. Even if I only am able to accomplish two classes that day because I have a teething baby or you know whatever else you know would go on in the day, I know that my kids saw that our centerpiece of the day was going to mass and that that was the most important thing. And then anything else that happened after that was a bonus. You know, and I know for us, that's one thing that I've told many parents and it's hard to do. I mean, it's really, really hard to kind of do that and get into the routine. And I know there's a lot of communities anymore where you can't go to daily mass. It just isn't possible. You know, there aren't daily masses in areas in our area. There is. And um, that's something that for us has always been an anchor. And I know as my kids have left home, like I like I said, my son is a DRE now he still goes to daily mass. My daughter and her husband live in New Haven, Connecticut. They still go to daily mass. And, um, you know, they thanked us for that. They said, thank you for introducing us to God so early in life, because we now, we feel that, you know, we have to go because we want to tell God how much we love him and show our gratitude for everything that we have. And it builds a very humble heart you know, because you're putting God first, you know? So that's something for us that has been tried and true is that, you know, that's cultivating, you know, that love for the Eucharist and having kids that are Irish dancers, like we travel a lot. So we take our Colby Academy with us, you know, when we're going to, we were just in Belfast in April, we were there for a week. And um, first thing the kids wanted to do is find where's the closest mass. So we went to the Clonard Monastery in Belfast and it was great because, you know, when you go to mass, it's the same throughout the world, even though, you know, it's in whatever dialect, whatever language they're speaking, but it makes you feel like you're at home, you know? Yeah. I I would second, well, heartily endorse that, that um, 
going mass daily mass has been an important part. I know right now where we live, we don't have daily mass. So right. we, we're right. in a, we're in an unfortunate spot, but for years there was a six thirty mass within walking distance really of our house. And so every day would be get the, we everybody's up, we get over to mass at six thirty, we come back. And those were some of the most, I may be misremembering, but they, they stick out as some of the most kind of disciplined times as yeah. far as like I'd come home and the kids are just right. grabbing their math book and yeah. saying, okay, I'm going to do math before breakfast so I can do other stuff after, after that right. or whatever. Well, I, I, I know for us, it truly is. It's like, I know we could have that, you know, the struggle with that math period, you know, because we would do math before mass, but after mass, the kids were structured and they'll go down and we can usually knock everything out in three and a half, four hours. I mean, granted, we have already been doing it for an hour and a half prior but it goes by very quickly, you know, and it's always been that way. And I know even um, with parents of little children that aren't homeschooling yet, that maybe you only have one that you're homeschooling and the rest, you know, are, are young. I would, like I said, I would take them all to mass and um, we would just roll with it after mass. And I know for me as a mom, it kind of gave me that extra oomph that I needed to be patient with everybody because, you know, there's a lot of chaos that goes on when you're tending to, you know, two, three, four kids at once that are all very young. But again, those graces you receive at mass are, um, you know, they're good. And the other thing too, is that I know for us going to mass as a young family, we would have a lot of the older families always come up to us and say, thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing your children. You know, when I was growing up, we went to Catholic school and we always went to daily mass. And now you don't see any kids at mass anymore. And, you know, sometimes as a young family, you kind of need that edification, you know, a boost from the elders of your parish and it makes you feel good. And then it kind of gives you that boost to go home and just kind of want to like say, yes, I can do anything, you know, and, you know, dig in. So. I also have a question about whether you have a favorite Colby course that you've taught with one of your children that just stands out as a, a gem for you that you enjoyed. You know what? There are, there are so many. I mean, there are so, so many. I mean, if you're looking at like a nuts and bolts course, I'm a huge, and I know you, Saxon isn't as much on the curricula as it used to be, but I, I still use Saxon from the time my kids were in first grade through the senior year in high school, I, I actually have used it. That for me is great because it's a building block. And I think that any, any mom, you know, could easily teach that because the explanations are so good and it's that building block approach. Um, other courses that I've absolutely have loved have been, um, I love the literature courses. I, I do, you can't put a price on good literature. You can't put a price on the classics um, when they're in their junior year and senior years and they're reading Shakespeare and Chesterton. It's just so rich and it's just so much better than some of the crud that's out there now, you know, and um, they know how to tell a story. I mean, Brideshead Revisited is is wow, you know, or 1984, you know, when you read Orwell's 1984 and you see some of it, you could say, wow, this kind of sounds a little parallel, like what might, you know, be happening today. That kind of stuff, it's just, it's good reading. And it gets the kids' minds thinking. They're just awesome. The high school history courses are 
phenomenal because you start with the beginning of Greek civilization and you're going right up until the present. And there's such a rich diving into Christology and such a rich diving into um, Christendom and, you know, all that good stuff that there's so many gems that I could like go off like for hours, like saying, Oh, what do I like? Because <laughs> like all that stuff, it's just so good. And I think it prepares the kids for college. I don't know if you're well aware of the fact that most of the books that the kids read in high school, like at Franciscan and a lot of other universities are their honors program courses. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my kids yet haven't taken honors at Franciscan because they're like, it's everything I read at Colby and high school, you know, so I'm not, I don't need to do that. But um, yeah, it's like that kind of good stuff. It prepares the mind because it teaches the children how to think. And I'm not surprised to hear you talk about how they're well prepared for college when you just laid out all of these things that they've read and thought about before. I mean, coming from public school myself, I mean, in one in my entire high school experience is I did not read as much as a Colby student reads in a single year of Colby. It's just incredible. Exactly. I mean, it's true. And I think the other thing is, is that when you're at Colby, whether you're taking an online course or you're taking a traditional course, there's still that accountability. What I love about Colby are the high school exams because they're designed to make you think. Okay, you feel pretty good at first, you know, first section of a Colby test might be a little true and false, maybe a little multiple guess or multiple choice, but then it gets a little meatier, second section, you got to write now paragraphs, and then, you know, you hit them, boom, right at that end with that essay, but it really stretches the mind, and um, it's great because it's, it's such great preparation for college because those kids know how to write, you know. Did you feel pretty confident when you were grading those exams, those essay exams? Did it, how did, what's that been like for you as you've been evaluating work like that? For me, when I taught college, I was an English teacher. Okay. So I, I actually patted myself on the back. I felt pretty good with, <laughs> with how my child, my children would write compared to some of the college students that I taught who didn't learn the basics that you learn at Colby. So I felt pretty good. I mean, not to knock the public school system, but I mean, when we were kids, we learned how to diagram sentences. Mm -hmm. Colby, you still do that in grade school, but you know, most kids don't do that. And they really, a lot of kids today that that go to um, public schools do not know how to write. I felt pretty good reading what my children came up with because, again, they had those building blocks back in first and second grade. I mean, they're starting to write paragraphs then. Yeah. So it just kind of went with it. I mean, I remember, oh, my goodness, 20 years ago when my second grader was writing a book report, you know, on Dr. Seuss. And my mom was like, what in the world? What? what? And it was like, well, they want me to do this, you know, so I just, you know, I'm doing it. But you know what? It was good because it taught my child at the age of seven critical thinking. So he was able to, of course, identify who, you know, who the main characters are, but write a primitive summary, but also write a little critique. And it was formulating that mind even at that early age that, you know, by the time they hit the high school age and they were writing the Colby essays, you know, 
they wrote good things. I mean, you know, it's good stuff that came out, but I'm not surprised because those building blocks were there. So yeah, you all kind of worked up to it. You do. You do. With the Colby curricula, you definitely, you definitely work up to it, gotcha. you know, okay. yeah. which is why I would go back to people and say, you know, if you, there's no point in reinventing the wheel when you have something that's good and it's proven, you know, you stick with it. Yeah. That's been a real encouragement to me as I, why we've been at this homeschool thing for what this is our sixth year now. So not, not anywhere near the experience that you have, but that was one of the reassurances to me from the beginning, like here, this is a time tested proven, don't reinvent the wheel, go with what works and lean into that. And that has been a huge help. Yeah. It's, it is. It's, it's great. It is just, just great. I wanted to ask you about the Saxon math. Have you found that your student, it sounds like it, I just want to throw it out there with the students who've done Saxon math going on into college, did they end up doing much college math and how did that go for them after having done Saxon? Okay. Well, with my oldest three, Saxon um, wasn't the main option for algebra. I think it was Forrester or Jacobs. And I really wasn't a fan of either one of them. And I, you know, I had every math you could imagine in college, having an MBA, like I've I've had it all. And I wasn't a fan of how it was laid out. Friend of mine who had a postdoctorate in biochems used Saxon throughout for her kids, her five kids. And I switched over to that and it was easy. Like for the, it was much easier for my kids to transition and to stick with the Saxon all the way through. How did they do in college? They did fine. They did fine. But you know, in in colleges today, unless you are an engineering major or a nursing major, um, the, the advanced maths aren't really required. It's more of um, a college basic statistical general math. So, I mean, you're certainly well prepped, well prepped for that. Or in some cases, you don't even have to take math at all. You can opt out for economics, which you're still doing math, but it's more of a, a basic kind of a um, statistical math, which isn't very difficult. Okay. So I felt like Colby went, even with Saxon, far beyond what most, most kids have anyway. Yeah, I find that with everything with Colby. It's yeah. like <laughs> by the time you're in ninth grade, you've you've like surpassed everybody, everybody else of your peers in public and Catholic schools everywhere. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Thank you for that. Sorry, oh, Stephen. What were, gonna, what were you going to say? Oh, it's, it was just a. It's it's kind of fun to be able to start sort of thinking about going back and starting in kindergarten and where you can keep building those building blocks. So I was just thinking, Bonnie, that's, that's harder for you who had to kind of jump in with yes. a bunch of kids at different levels. But for me, it's always kind of nice when, if you're a homeschooling mom out there to consider that advice and just jump in preschool, kindergarten, because as long as you've got good friends that are kind of walking you off the like, oh, I need to do all of these things or my kindergarten student is going to fail sort of things like, well, they're in kindergarten. Just it's OK. We'll just progress. Yeah. But you've got you've got wiggle room to learn yourself and to figure things out for all of those future kids as well. Absolutely. Like and I like I know for us um, getting back, you mentioned if there was something that was kind of that I didn't like. And this absolutely has nothing to do with Colby. But being in Pennsylvania, we, we have one of the strictest homeschooling laws nationally and um, the amount of paperwork that um, we're required to do in Pennsylvania it's just very intrusive and very cumbersome and I always would find it very funny because we have to submit our curricula to the school district the school district takes it and 
they approve it. And it's funny because like our material is just so far beyond anything that they're doing. And, um, but you're still, you know, subjugated to all this paperwork and stuff. Um, I can say for anybody that is, that has children that are planning on going to college that the Catholic universities are either one of you familiar with the Newman list. Yes. We've had Patrick Riley from okay. the Newman Guide here, here, here with okay. us. Well, you know, the Newman Guide schools are very impressed with Colby. I know with our Christopher, he's the one that's a senior in high school this year. He actually has already applied to Steubenville because he's at Colby. And, you know, because, you know, you're accredited and you have the checks and balance system. That's what I call a checks and balance system. But, you know, you have an advisor who verifies, you know, your students' samples, you know, as they go along. Mm -hmm. I know with Christopher, he's already been accepted, you know, and he just started his senior year of high school. And, you know, because these colleges, whether it's Christendom, University of Dallas, Franciscan, um, Wyoming, they're all just so impressed with Colby that it's kind of like, oh, okay, you went to Colby. Okay. Yeah. You're set, you know? Yeah. So know already. Yeah. That's good yeah. to hear. I'm a Thomas Aquinas College graduate okay. myself. <laughs> My daughter's there. This she's a she's a sophomore out on the West Coast campus. But but yeah, they, that's definitely the experience. You've you can do the readings at these. Yeah. It's like a, <laughs> the turnpike, the tollway. If you've got one of those passes on your car, like easy pass, sounds like yeah. it, like you can just go through the one gate. And everybody else has to stop and pay the toll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, which is which is actually something really nice. And but that's something else like I tell like even a lot of our younger parents in our group is that it's a lot of work. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to blow smoke. I mean, it's a very competitive, challenging program, but it is so rewarding that it is it is worth it. It, um, you never need to get discouraged if you have a bad day. I mean, we've all been there. I've had many, many bad days, you know, juggling at, at sometimes four very small children around. But you know what? You get through it. And the thing of it is, is that nobody knows your child as well as you do. So even if you're having a bad day and you're worried, you as their parent, you're going to know their strengths and weaknesses that somebody else is just not going to know, you know, you might have the best teacher in a public school or a Catholic school, but they don't know your child as well as you know, your child. And that's something where I think that homeschooling, you can cater the, you know, you can cater the courses around that child where, you know, that if Tommy's able to get through his math in 15 minutes, then good for Tommy, let him do that. And if it takes Tommy 45 minutes to get through his Catholic national reader, that's okay too. You can let your child move at his or her own pace. And you don't have to have somebody saying it's time to move on to the next class. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what is so beautiful about homeschooling is that you can cater to your child's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, and, and make things so efficient. As you're talking about that, it's just springing to mind. I think I've mentioned this, but in our family, we're we're slow readers. Yeah. Yeah. Or so, but we know by sixth grade, fifth, fifth, sixth grade, everybody's going to be up and running, and there. And so it's it's like we could waste all of that time right. just forcing them to do it. But exactly, no, let's do other stuff, and then at some point they're just going to take off. Right. 
Right, exactly. And that's how it was with our caboose, with our Tony. It was like that. He was um, very strong in math, um, just like a natural, like just this absorption. But when it came to reading, it was like, forget it, you know? And, but I knew that at some point it would click and it did. He is a pretty good little reader now, but I didn't sweat it. And I think only when you homeschool, you're able to see that because every child is so different, you know, and you can really cater to their strengths and weaknesses and work on what you need to and not the child doesn't need to feel stressed out, you know. And hopefully, too, as they get older, if there are things that you know, some of their areas of weakness, you and they can work together to for them to take more and more Absolutely. ownership of that to be able to yeah. do what they need to do to either accommodate or shore it up or any number of things that they will need to take with them into adulthood to, to something that's going to go with them like that, that, that they need to know how to deal with without someone else handling it for them. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Okay. I have, I have a question here from one of our advisors. They wanted me to ask you, if you have any suggestions for homeschooling large families when there are a few years between the children, sort of large family homeschooling dynamics. Right. For us, for us, um, my older students, my, I always would start their day first. Okay. Um, they're like the helpers, you know, um, I can remember like even when the, um, the upper crew, cause we have like the upper crew and lower crew when the okay. upper crew was smaller, like, um, the older ones would be up, like I said, up with me, like they still do now and like sort laundry, um, do those morning chores and go down to class with me. The younger ones would still be sleeping. My husband would wake them up and get them ready to go to mass. So the younger crew, in fact, the younger crew didn't start. They don't start in with their school day until after mass. So that's nine in the morning. Whereas the older crew, and by older, I'm defining as like junior high school and up would start their school day, six o'clock, okay. you know, and those staggered school days were huge. Another thing is when you're dealing with math, um, I would all, it always seemed like I would have a stronger math student and a weaker math student that would be going at the same time. Yeah. So <laughs> I would actually have the stronger math student read his or her lesson the day before and that way when the morning class would start I would start in doing the stronger math students lesson that day while the weaker student was taking the time to read her or his lesson while I was doing the work with the older student and then you know when she would be done or he would be done we'd switch off so it would be staggered so even though they were starting their school day at the same time um, I would hit in harder on one than the other if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I would be, my, my head would be spinning with math after 90 minutes, but for the child, you know, he or she wasn't at that board for 90 minutes. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, so I would stagger in that way after mass for the, I would also do any class that you needed mom for, um, as you're an older kid, like I do, um, the languages I actually do with my children. I, I did Latin with my children. I do Spanish with them. Um, if it's a hands-on mom class, it would be either at the very beginning of the day or, you know, high school students go longer than grade school students at the very end of the day. So I would be able to give that hands-on time to the younger students during that core morning session right after mass until lunch. Okay. 
And then the older students knew that they would be doing their reading classes while I was working with the younger kids. So that way, although mom would feel a little kooky because she was going all day, the student, you know what I mean, still was able to get his or her work all done. Okay. So, and of course, we would have to deal with poopy diapers, nursing, and everything else in between. Um, hey, whichever kid was available was mom's helper. And they just kind of rolled with it. But you know what? When you grow up with it, you don't think there's anything wrong with it. And you just, you know, kind of go. But that's how I would handle it. Super. That serves them all in their own family lives. <laughs> All right, I've already gotten a glimpse into the start of your day and how you kind of divide it up and everything. Right. Are there other aspects of managing your household and other obligations uh, that you have alongside homeschooling? How do you make all that work? Well, the schedule. The schedule, yeah. is, the schedule is huge. Uh, when the homeschool day is done, um, you know, we do our chores. And after the chores, like I said, my kids are competitive Irish dancers. So we're talking many hours a week is um, dedicated to this sport. So um, they don't practice their Irish dance until school and their chores are done. Of course, they have to go to dance class themselves, but that's later in the day. So um, everything is done on a schedule. As far as I make sure that my kids have a home cooked meal every day, which means that there is one day every two weeks that we go grocery shopping. And there's also one day during those two weeks that we do our bulk cooking, mm. where we cook enough meals for two weeks and the kids pitch in with that. So um, we do things like that. The pressure cooker and the um, oven get worked very well in the crock pot. And we do, we make meals for two weeks at a time. That way we get that home cooked meal. Um, and we actually have a chore list where everybody has an area that even though we pitch, everybody pitches in, there's one child that oversees like kitchen cleanup, but everybody helps. Okay. There's one child that's in charge of making sure the house is tidy all the time, but um, everybody pitches in. There's one child that oversees that the laundry is being changed and, you know, folded, but everybody pitches in. So everybody has a level of responsibility and that even goes down to the youngest kid because eight-year-olds are very good at cleaning toilets and they can also clean sinks and they can, there's things that they can do very well. So from the time um, the kids were small, they were given household tasks. So um, that's how we're able to get it done. Love it. So, well, you know, and they know that we're, we've always taught the kids that, like my kids are very sports oriented. So we're no different than a baseball team. I'm the coach, dad's the general manager, and then they're the players. And if you have a pitcher and if the pitcher is pitching and a player from another team hits the ball and none of the outfielders are paying attention to catch that ball, you're going to lose the game, <laughs> you know? And that's kind of, you know, our way of how we do things is that it's kind of like we're a team. We want to be a winning team, but in order to be a winning team, we got to, you know, all work together. You got to listen to your coach. You got to listen to the general manager and, you know, we can make it work. I love that. That's great. That's fantastic. That's a new, uh, that's a new one too, for we've had lots of uh, 
uh, Maggie, at your wife, Maggie, Stephen, she describes herself as the general contractor, right? Of the, of the going. <laughs> yes. So yeah. I love this uh, baseball analogy too. We have to add that to our list. I, yeah. I tend to go for the, uh, the uh, maritime analogies, like the skipper and the, that kind of thing, but I, I like <laughs> <Yeah>. this one. <laughs> so <laughs> I really I like it. the baseball one. Yeah. I love it. I mean, you know, it's like anything because, you know, you can make, make anything fun. I mean, let's, I mean, it's not, it's not easy what we do, you know, it's because as mom, you're a mom and you're a homeschool teacher and, you know, you're wearing a lot of hats and plus you're running your household. And, um, for most of us that are homeschooling our kids, like maybe we can work part-time, but it's, you can't really work full-time, you know what I mean? So you have to kind of pull together as a team. Um, I think like our kids learned at a very young age that, you know, the reason why we would take one reason why we would take them to the grocery store with us is we really wanted them to understand the value of this is how much money it costs to buy food and like kind of learning the value of um, responsible stewardship. You know what I mean? Like, especially, you know, now, as you can see, things are really starting to get tight for people, but just being able to understand that, you know, food costs money. Here's how much we buy. Here's, you know, you have eight of us. Here's, you know, I mean, you can kind of apply math skills and everything when you go to a grocery store. But, um, you know, it just teaches them kind of a bit of responsibility, too. Definitely. Do you have any pearls of wisdom to offer us for when, for those days that go off the rails? You've owned up to having some bad days yourself, as we all do. Oh, yeah. You know what, um, when it goes off the rail, I mean, that's why I'm, a, I'm that big advocate of going to mass. If you can go to daily mass, because if your day goes off the rails, I mean, at least the one thing that you have under you is that you went to mass, you know, so you have the grace of God will get you through it. And it's just looking at it that you have to just be kind to yourself and realize that it's okay to have a bad day because you're still giving your children the greatest gift and that's you and even if you accomplish very little you're still accomplishing something because you're giving that child love you know and that's okay i know we've had days where you know we would plan to do so much and we would just go off the rails and it was like at those times that we would just go outside play for a bit or come inside and like have the kids together and, you know, make a dessert or just do something, you know, or go for a walk or do something and clear your head. And you just realize that tomorrow's another day and it's okay. I mean, you know, it's okay to have a bad day. And I, I think that's the, that's the main thing. And, you know, another thing too, is that as parents, it's, you're going to have days where you even get impatient and it's okay to say to your kids, listen, I'm just having a bad day. You know, it's nothing. You didn't do anything wrong, but you know, sometimes it's, it's hard, you know, and it's okay. And I love you and make the most of it. It's that part of that forgiveness that you just always see in the the family, whether it's from a parent to a child or whatever. I just love that it's easier to do in a family in many ways than 
for me in like the public brick, brick and mortar school that I came from, at least it seems like it where it's like, yeah, I just messed up. Sorry. That's, and I, will you forgive me? You know, that sort of thing. That's really valuable to, to experience that too. I think it is. I mean, especially in the kind of world we live in, you want your children because, you know, let's be honest, they're only with you for so many years. They grow up very quickly. And, you know, I think when you, say and you just kind of say to yourself I have to savor each moment with these kids and they just grow up so quickly and you always have to just trust yourself that God leads you to homeschooling you know what I mean God God leads you to it and when it's Catholic homeschooling it's it's this awesome great call because we're raising children not to just become CEOs and that doesn't mean that our children won't become CEOs but we're looking at heaven. You know what I mean? That's the end game for all of us is for our children to get to heaven. And I think it's okay for, you know, when you have that unconditional love that families have, you know, it's, it's just beautiful. And kids are very forgiving. That's another thing too. And it's okay. If you mess up, it's okay. If they mess up, you know, you just start over. And when you feel like you're ready to blow, there's nothing wrong with going out for a minute. You know what I mean? Step out of the room and just kind of collect your thoughts and then go back in, you know, and just don't beat yourself up too much. Because I think as moms, it's easy for us to do that. You know, we have this ideal set, you know, that mom needs to be this and mom needs to be that. No, mom just needs to be mom. You know, I think for me, because we just had our first granddaughter. Our daughter, Jessica, has been married for about a year and a half now. And she and her husband just had their first baby in May. And it's very edifying when you have your daughter who's, you know, college educated too, say to you, I want to homeschool. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to raise my children the way that you raised me. Or, you know, I hear my son who's the DRE out in Joliet. And he says the same thing. He's there, you know, I have these children and he's there. There's these families are so clueless. He's there. I looked at what you and dad taught me. And then I learned at what I learned at Franciscan and I scratched my head and I'm like, how can nobody else? Like people are just clueless. And, you know, thank you for raising me the way that you did. And I think that's the greatest gift is that for as hard as this seems now, in the end, you know, you'll see that it's all worth it. You know, that all the time you put in, because the thing is too, you're creating memories with your children. And, you know, you can't put a price on that. You really, you really, really can't. I love that because, you know, one of the things we lose track of with our kids going all over the place, you know, after they, they move now, they don't stay in the same village like they did 50 years ago or whatever. But, but parenting isn't meant to be, you send them off to college and it's done. Right. But if you don't build those relationships before college, sometimes that's what happens. But it's a, we're supposed to be together until we as parents need, have to rely on them to take care of us, you know, to last days but it's true and i think you know it's that saying we give our children roots but we also give them wings to fly and i think that's where colby does this wonderful job because like with the 
building block model that you get from the time that the children are in kindergarten and first grade. And you see that it just goes on year after year after year and it gets bigger and better and bigger and better that they have that solid foundation. But the fact that you're giving your children the gift of you, you know, by being present to them and teaching them, you're giving those, those roots. But when they graduate high school, you can also trust yourself that you've done a good job and that you've given them now wings to fly. And, um, you know, they'll come back, you know, maybe not much, but, you know, <laughs> those relationships, they, they stick. And the other thing, too, is that for families that have a lot of kids, I think when you homeschool, the um, relationships between the siblings are stronger. I really do. I, I see it with my own children because you spend so much time together. I mean, even though you have friends, I mean, besides yourselves, it's um, there's something special because your brothers and sisters are your classmates. You know what I mean? And um, that's that's a good thing. Definitely. That's neat. The years are as close as they are. Those who have are no longer under your roof. That's neat. How do you prep for courses like literature where you're needing to read ahead a little bit to facilitate the discussion or other courses that need a little bit of, you know, you know, just kind of open it up and jump in? Right. Well, I'll tell you, I, again, as I mentioned before, my kids are competitive Irish dancers and um, where we live in Pennsylvania, our home base of our dance school is 90 minutes away. So we do a lot of road work. Okay. I spend a lot of time listening to Audible mm -hmm. and Audible is great. So um, for the books that I wasn't familiar with, um, you know, I would listen to them actually beforehand because I had more time to, you can do chores, you can cook, you can drive, you can do anything while I would listen. I think it's very important that you do do that though. Instead of, I, I know some parents who try to wing it. I wouldn't recommend that, especially with, you know, books like Brideshead Revisited in 1984. Um, I would just listen. I would just listen to them beforehand. That's what I would do. Love it. Love audiobooks. Good suggestion. I can't say that I've always been as proactive as that, but sometimes my children will come and say, oh, I really love this book. Or I really, you know, especially when they like them. So right. That sounds really interesting. Then I kick it into gear so I can, can discuss <laughs> some of it with them. No, I, I mean, even with the encyclicals, um, you know, as parents, I mean, our faith is so rich that a lot of the Colby courses, especially in high school, when you're dealing with theology or um, like all of my kids took the anatomy and physiology course. It's not offered now, but I'm still teaching it to my kids and um, Humanae Vitae and Casti Canubi and all these great encyclicals are on them. But, you know, even as as a Catholic, it's like just so good to get your hands on this stuff and dive in. But um, yeah, I mean, I would just always try to stay ahead, a step ahead of them. Sometimes it wouldn't work that way, but for the most part, it would. <laughs> sure. So you built that into your system. That's great. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to share with us or that you want to make sure that we talked about today? Oh man, this has been great talking to both of you. I, I just, I go back to um, 21 years we've been with this school and it has been such a blessing. And I think 
one thing I would tell parents is don't get intimidated when you see some of the um, book selections, because it, it does seem a little meaty. I mean, when you're in eighth grade and you're seeing that Herodotus is on the Talkit or the Iliad or the Odyssey or any of this is, or Augustine, City of God, no, your, your kids are ready for this and kids want to be challenged. And, you know, stick with it. You know, and I think the other good thing is you have so many fantastic advisors that if you really totally get stumped, you always have somebody that you can contact. There's, you know, the Colby Parent Forum, there's Colby Facebook pages. So there's support out there. You know, there's always somebody that you can talk to and um, you'll always find somebody there, an ear to listen or whatnot. Wonderful. Well, we are going to have in our show notes a, a list of some Kobe cast episodes that relate to some of the things that have come up today. These conversations with moms like you, Michelle, they're such gold to, to really get a glimpse of how folks make this work. And we so appreciate all of the many pearls of wisdom you've given us today. Uh, thanks so much for visiting with us and all best wishes to you and your family. Oh, thank you so much. Have a good one. It was nice meeting both of you. It's nice meeting you, Michelle. You too. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.